0: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Week with Joel, Kim, and Chris. On today's tour catch up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com, Sinner the winner in Beijing.
1: Your ball gets back into the winner's circle, and the AO is set to become a 15 day tournament from 2024.
0: Kim, Chris, today is the 4th of October and we are here to catch up. On the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Well, I say the week. Actually, we're recording on a Wednesday. The Beijing final for the men's event has just happened. We're in round three of the women's event. It feels all very out of kilter at the moment. And guys, I feel like that can only mean one thing, and that's that the Asian swing has arrived.
2: Yeah, it's strange to be recording on a Wednesday outside of the Grand Slams, but. The schedule dictates that, so here we are.
0: When when did Wednesday finals become a thing? I don't even I don't even recall that ever happening.
1: Well, from from your opening, I was looking thinking, has that happened before? Was that an Asian thing that happened? But maybe with the performance buys, maybe Medvedev and Sin are already into round three of Shanghai. I mean, who knows?
0: Why is that not more of a thing that's spoken about in the news? I don't think we've really addressed it. I don't think everyone anyone's really spoken about it on on social media. But it just feels. I mean, I know we bang on about the schedule, I feel like, every episode, but this just feels very, very odd. A bit odd for hump day.
2: Yeah, they all have a day off in Beijing. They can just, you know, tune in and or go Wednesday's
0: to Maybe new- Wednesday's the new Sunday, is it?
2: Yeah, maybe it so.
1: TV viewings. I mean, surely Sunday primetime gets more viewers than a Wednesday lunchtime over here uh, in the UK.
2: Very strange, but we will be rounding up what happened in Beijing and also uh, from last week, Tokyo, uh, Ningbo and uh, Astana uh, before we get on to this week's action as well. Um, Guys, what have been like your highlights uh, aside from the actual tennis this week? For for me, I've seen a video of Rafa uh, practicing back on the tennis court, which is obviously going to be my highlight.
0: But what's got you uh, excited this week? How how excited were you when you saw that clip? I've, that feels to me ahead of schedule. I don't know about you. Well, he's
2: probably taking it like early days, maybe just tentatively. I don't I don't know, but I think I think that's what he kind of indicated. You know, he's going to see how he goes, and then you know the goal is 2024 to be ready. So he's going to you know it's October now, so give him a few months.
1: That was very reserved the way you introduced that. That's big news, Kim. It for is a big fan news. Especially yeah. Yeah. You're like, on and on move slider. on. Don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. Next.
2: Don't want to get ahead of myself. That's all I can say. So, you know, early days, isn't it? Um But yeah, Joel, what what about you? What's what's caught your eye this week?
0: Well, it has to be not in tennis, but in golf at the Ryder Cup, which is a big event. Um, the the Labour Cup, I feel like, is struggling uh, to uh, capture in the tennis world. But um yeah, Ryder Cup, Team Europe versus Team USA. And uh, they had, like, a, a celebrity, like, round before, like, the main event. And guess who was involved? Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic was there with not a, a tennis racket, but golf clubs in hand. And I was really curious to see what his, his drive was like. And, uh, I mean, he I'm not going to lie, he did not disappoint. I mean, yes, he's, like, arguably kind of the one of, if not the goat um, of, of tennis, but... Him with some some golf clubs in hand. I think he wasn't too shabby either.
1: Was he as good as Ash Barty? Because didn't she? Oh, do
0: we need. Yes. Yeah,
1: that could be what we need. Maybe we need a tennis version. We need. Maybe the Labour Cup should be golf, but tennis players <laughs> play it. <laughs> <laughs> we That's...
0: need some big money sponsor to come in and make a head to head Novak Djokovic versus Ash Barty a on a golf of course. The that could oh, be yes.
1: an update for the no Billie jean king but add in a golf club and or maybe a Saudi is, Arabian it, golf is it course. golf
0: tennis and uh, like an unknown third sport maybe i don't know ping
1: pong you see quite a lot of them play ping pong
2: <laughs> a new triathlon uh with rackets a and modern one yeah what do they call oh golf clubs that's it i couldn't think what you called them <laughs> um what about you uh chris i think uh well, where's your eye been this week
1: well maybe if you add to that sort of um modern triathlon you could add beer pong um based on the story this week, because um, we all remember Jessie Pagula. um, I mean, JPEG's now pretty much a a firm fixture in our highlights of the week, given what she gets up to on social media. But this time, um, someone actually asked, um, whilst uh, Pagula was in Tokyo, asked to sign a Heineken can, because that's what she drank when she had just lost in the quarterfinals. And she was um, trying to... Uh, get herself ready for a drugs test Um, so this is a very interesting piece of tennis memorabilia um, and I'm not sure where we stand on this from the green perspective, will it still be recycled, can you recycle it um, did they wash it up before they got it signed?
0: I'm disappointed it's not an orange Doritos bag if I'm being quite honest with you. That would've been that would have been my go to. You would need marker uh, pen, product.
1: wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean that that the nature of the texture of that that can easily yeah, that's, rub that's, off. Yeah,
0: actually it's quite hard to sign, isn't it? But Open I would or find unopened?
1: a way. That's the question. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I mean is this going to go pride of place on their their living room shelf? It looks so. like junk, it's doesn't it? It can
0: go nowhere else, Kim.
2: Could go in a modern art gallery, maybe. I mean, that's the sort yeah. of vibe that you might get in there. You know, all sorts of different yes, things.
1: Yeah, yes, it's very Copenhagen. <laughs> no, isn't to it, Modern yeah. Art. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you could do a Warhol-esque signed Heineken kind of can Jesper Gula oh, montage. So you montage paint,
1: paint it now is what you're saying
2: well just use it as a base of a print but anyway tennis and art we'll, we'll see how that wants to combine <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the tennis and let's talk about beijing because we did have the final today between yannick sinner and daniel medvedev so wednesday final very strange um but yeah Yannick Sinner, he's managed to do something he has um, never done before, which is beat Daniel Medvedev. And what a way to do it in the final of the um, ATP 500 event in Beijing. Uh, 7-6, 7-6, you know, straight sets, two tie breaks. He's uh, finally got his first win over Medvedev. He was previously 11-6 in their head-to-head. Joel, what do you think made the difference today for Yannick Sinner uh, in terms of him being able to record that first win and get this this title?
0: Well, I think you know he's been playing some of the best tennis of his career. I think this week, this has been a very very tricky draw to navigate. He has won bigger titles. You know, he won the the Canadian Masters earlier in the year, but I would arguably say that the route he has had to go through uh, with this draw has been very very challenging. I mean, he's had to face Dimitrov. Uh, defeated Dimitrov in the quarters, Carlos Alcaraz in the semi-final, and I think you know with those two victories in particular, I think we we'll just give him full of confidence that regardless of of who's in front of him and and the barriers that they might perceive there to be, given that such an overwhelming head to head to Medvedev, I just think that just shows the the level and the belief that he's playing with. And uh, in the final, I think you know from the back of the court, he was just defensively such a rock. Um, he was using a bit of variety. I loved him you know, coming to net to do a bit of serve and volley. I do sometimes question whether Daniel Medvedev knows what to do when a player is is net rushing and is at the net because I think we've seen it on a few occasions and uh, I think that really, really helped Yannick Sinner and the angles I think he also played with. It just showed, I think, all of the, as I say, kind of all the, the tools that he can play with and um, very impressive performance throughout the whole week.
2: And, you know, he'd beaten Alcaraz, uh, like you said. So amazing, amazing week. Um, Chris, what were your thoughts on on Sinner's performance this week in, in Beijing?
1: Well, I mean, I wasn't 100% sure if he was 100% because, you know, going out in the US Open, there was concerns about his back in terms of how his serve was doing. And he seems to have put those kind of firmly behind him. I mean, as you said, he was serving brilliantly. Um, he won 82%. Um, of points on first serve against Medvedev and 71 on second. So um, that's about as good as the numbers can get when it comes to his performance on serve. So those back concerns are are long gone. Um, They were never fully confirmed from the US Open. So it does kind of put into question why he's able to peak either side of the slam, but not at the slam, because you'd think going into this that he'd had a lot of form, and the way he's playing after it, I mean, maybe he's had some recovery time, but I'm just hoping he doesn't do like a an FAA. Yes, it, no, not FFA, FAA, I always get that wrong. And have a great <laughs> end, always have to check, and then a great end of season and then not be able to carry it over because, you know, a lot of the big tournaments are wrapped up. There's the, there's the end of season finals that obviously he'll be a fixture at. Um, Paris as well. But, you know, you, you want to be in contention in the big moments. And um for him this year i guess that hasn't quite happened um but it's setting himself up for a fantastic seeding and a fantastic potential grand slam season next year yeah i mean chris you did say
0: he had no back issues but he did have vomiting issues i don't know if you both saw this in his quarter final he had to throw up into a bin on the court and it was pretty awkward actually cuz the cameraman was just basically like i'm just going to get every single moment of this and it was oh. just like it's just like full the, the heat exposure has been of his yeah. head in a bin um, on on the court, and uh, again, I think it was just impressive how the fact that he he won all these matches, and uh, I don't think he was necessarily you know a hundred percent. He was just finding you know a way to win, and um, yeah, it's just been a it's been a bit of a strange week for him because even at the start of the week in that match against Dan Evans, Dan Evans was sort of feigning to imitating to him and gesturing to him that he was injured.
1: Um, so yeah, he's had to overcome I think a few kind of odd kind of moments on the court. Do you think he's had to go for more then? Because on return, I mean, against Medvedev, it's probably one of the most impressive sort of return performances um, that I've seen for him in terms of really kind of, mm. um, well, actually, less than the Medvedev, but very much so in the Alcaraz match, where I think Alcaraz only won 28% of points behind second serve. Um, so clearly, I mean, that was a, a very aggressive sinner who was taking his chances mm. um, and playing really well. And maybe if you're not, we've seen this before, um, with some top players that if you're not 100% you want to play as little tennis as you can shorten those points which we know he has the firepower but he doesn't always pull the trigger so maybe it just forced him especially against Medvedev you've got to hit big um, and against Alcaraz you're going to have to play another ball so hit it, hit it harder and give yourself an easier next ball
2: just on that match with Alcaraz, you know, Sin has beaten Alcaraz a number of times now. He's got four wins against him. And, you know, Alcaraz has sort of come out saying, you know, he really needs to find a way to beat him. Um, obviously, Wimbledon love that that rivalry between them, don't they? They're poster boys. But, um, you know, what does Alcaraz need to do if it, it seems like, you know, Sinner's kind of getting the better of him perhaps more often than not? these days what do you think that Alcaraz needs to do against him next time they play
0: yeah, I think it's a it's a tough one. And I like I like actually how honest Alcaraz is when it comes to kind of press conferences in terms of, um, you know, just laying it out there in terms of like, at the moment, you know, he's, he's effectively trying different tactics on the court and it's not necessarily working for him. I think when it comes to like the future and their matchups in the future, I think he almost needs to arguably maybe hit the reset button or think about and go back to those matches where he was on top and just acknowledges that he's going to need to develop and maybe one strategy works that day but it might not necessarily work you know in in the future he also needs to I think be able to concentrate through the whole match I mean in that second set he just sort of mentally went walk about you know he openly said that he was very frustrated Um, so I also think he needs to stay kind of cool calm and collected against someone like Sinner who can be so frustrating to play against because otherwise you might just end up beating yourself which I would say is what happened in the semi-final
1: do you think that Sinner just plays his best tennis against Alcaraz because there is that rivalry there, like in terms of not not necessarily in a negative way, but I think it's some of the best tennis that we see from Sinner is against Alcaraz. There are those players uh, who you'll always kind of see um, bring out the best in in one, not necessarily both of them, but... Um, it does just seem that Sinner steps up to the plate because when there are so many comparisons between different players, it's often the clashes which are sometimes the most competitive and um, they really can bring out the best in you because, I mean, Sinner's the underdog in those situations and he's come out on top uh, numerous times now. So I think it's a case that it's not about beating the Yannick Sinner of week in, week out. It's about beating the Yannick Sinner that plays against Carlos Alcaraz, which seems to be um, a cut above
2: yeah, he elevates his level. I mean, it might be different if Sinner was the you know the, the higher ranked and with, with the pressure on it. You know, when they're playing, he's still the underdog, isn't he? So that if that changed, it might be different. I mean, Alcaraz still had a you know good week getting to the semifinals. He didn't drop a set prior to that. But just going back to Sinner as well, he is now um, the only the second Italian to. Crack the top five in the rankings, um, which is exciting for him. Highest rank, ranking, you know, of his career. And I mean, do you guys know who the first Italian was to crack the top five? It's not a name that I particularly know, but Goodness. I wondered if either of you could guess. It was back in 1976. Okay, so. well, I was <laughs> going to say Berrettini. <laughs> I was going to go to just... Panetta.
1: So, I think, we're oh, no, <laughs> I think
2: this is just ATP. But no, it's Adriano Panetta. So quite close to Panetta, mm, to okay. be fair. Ooh,
1: can I have a point for that? What, Surely, you
2: put an E in instead of an N. If only uh, I just a. said
1: Panetta and then just <laughs> said, No, listen to it back. I'm sure I said it.
0: I mean, do do you think now Sinner is in this sort of no man's land between? like a big three of of Djokovic, Alcaraz and Medvedev and then everyone else with like Sisypas, Runa, Rude, I'd probably put in that category. Do you think he's sort of like in between the two at, at this moment in time? I didn't, I think you,
1: mm,
2: well, I was going to say, you've to have
1: a slam, right? That's what I was going to yeah. say. Really, unless mm. you won a slam, you can't be the number four and be considered... You know, one of one of the very, very top at the moment because
0: no, not even in this in this era when I would arguably say it's 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 a weak top ten outside that I think
1: I think he's in three, the middle. I think there's three that are playing sort of the best tennis across the year, not necessarily the most consistently, but I mean there are two players really hmm. that I would say have been the standout of the year. Um and they're the players that have won the slam. So he's definitely again best of the rest, is what I'd say. But I don't know what you were gonna and probably rudely interrupted you, Kim. What you were going to say?
2: No, no, you didn't. No, I was just going to say I wouldn't put Medvedev personally in that big three. I know he has won I a slam. I agree then. Yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah.
2: and I know he beat Alcaraz at the U.S. Open. However, I still see Djokovic and Alcaraz as the the top top, um and everyone else sort of yeah best of the rest which I know is not a great you know they don't want that as their tagline do they that's not particularly uh encouraging but we need yeah they need to prove it to us they need Yannick Sinner needs to be Novak Djokovic at a Grand Slam for me to changed my mind so if he could do that great um and hopefully he will because that'll that really proves you you kind of have that's like the next step isn't it um but yeah, so that was Beijing. Um, that was Beijing. Obviously, good week for Medvedev, although he lost in the final. You know, he um, got a win over Zverev in the semi. So quite a, it's quite a standard um, win. You know, this was his eighth eighth final of the season. So he has been racking up those those titles and those finals this year. He has had a solid, solid year, but just not able to get the win on the day. Sinner playing uh, very, very good uh, tennis to win today. Let's look at the WTA event that we had last week which was out in Tokyo and this was won by Veronica um, who has not won a title in quite a while uh, but she got the victory in straight sets over JPEG, Jessica Pagula, 7-5-6-1 uh, just over an hour and 20 minutes to, to win this one. I mean I wouldn't have Put her down uh, as the sort of favourite for that title. You know, she was the eighth seed, but she hasn't had a particularly good season. Whereas JPEG, obviously, she's got a terrible has. record in
0: finals as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, she has not um, done very well in on all her finals. Hence, you know, her last title was April 2021. Um, she's she'd lost four straight finals since then. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris, what did you what did you make of Kudametova this week? And what you know, what was what was she doing differently to actually you know change the the end result this time
1: around wow i mean she was getting the ball into the court which that
2: always helps doesn't it it
1: it really wasn't a given it really wasn't (laughs) a given because i i watched pretty much all of the match where just a few months ago um in august middle of august she lost in straight sets to venus williams and she could not get the ball in the court sure it was windy conditions but she was kind of a a shell of the former player that she had been at some of these sort of uh, bigger tournaments and uh, pretty pushing towards the top 10 and playing some great tennis prior to that. And you have to think that this is poles apart in terms of performance levels. I mean, she, take, she took out the world number one, um, did that pretty handily um, coming uh, coming through in three sets against Ego, which we can probably talk about in a second about um, that, what that means for for on tech there. But um again lots of surprise results in terms of the performance
0: why she been able to do this but like her grand slam record this season's been 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 woeful
1: it must be to do with the conditions the only thing that i can think of um i know she doesn't like to play in windy outdoor conditions um always i think charleston was a bit of an exception in that respect um, she didn't have a great a great Wimbledon, so I guess it just shows that you know anyone who is struggling with form, there's just one tournament and it can turn around. You could take that with Sofia um, you know, having a great um, title run. Um, and Zachary Sakari, you, you know anything could come around, but it is a big surprise, um, and you have to give her a lot of credit because the hardest thing to do is to win when you don't believe that you're going to win or believe that you're playing good tennis so to turn it around very impressive and she's actually set up a clash with the currently i think 15 match winning streak of coco goff mm-hmm. in her next tournament so that will be a very interesting one because we've got two players high on confidence um ready to face off so uh, who's going to win that one this week joel
0: Oh, that's a tough, I, tough one. I you still love, think a You always I'm, I'm predict I still got Coco Goff. I mean, I, I, think we're going to do some predictions a bit. I've still got Coco Goff as my champion, and uh, I'm still riding on the coattails of my Coco Goff prediction uh, for the U.S. Open. She can't um, win everything, Joel. I, she can. She can and will. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I did say that. You know, I just, <laughs> I, I just had to. Privately laugh at uh, saying Sakari kind of turned a corner in 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 uh, in Guadalajara when she she went out in the semi-finals in Tokyo to to Pagula. So back to back to her old habits of of losing in semis.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, back. Old habits die hard. Hey, um... <laughs> that's very true. And you are a bit of a fan of for Joel. And I remember once you said a comment on the podcast where you compared her to Elise Mertens, but you said Veronica Kudemetva was an elevated Elise Mertens. Do you still stand by that?
0: I think I do at Grand Slams, although uh, I would have to take out 2023 because, yeah, to me, she's a very consistent performer at Grand Slams, normally gets to that second week if we're talking about it, lise merton's always making a third round always felt like veronica kudometova was like a player you could always rely on to make a, a fourth round at the minimum um but yeah it's not been quite there i think this season and again she might be looking at the end of this season to to rack up some ranking points because i don't necessarily think you know, the level that she showed the fact that she did beat english en route here it's just not been there um,
1: as consistently as I think we've we've known her for in previous seasons. Well, Elise Mertens, we should give a shout out to because she is currently the doubles number one. So I mean, I I might take being a slightly less elevated Elise Mertens if it means I'm number one in the rankings somewhere.
2: Mm. Well, I think I'd do the same as, actually as you, Chris. <laughs> um, and just a note on Igor Svante. Obviously, she lost to Kudemeteva in this tournament, in the quarterfinals, in three sets. You know, she's won today very comfortably. Um, but do you think, you know, there's danger signs about Svante? You know, she wouldn't normally lose to Kudemeteva in, in the quarters. This isn't what we've seen from her, When we what we expect of her. Or am I being yeah. too
1: harsh? No, I, I don't think you're being too harsh. I think... It definitely is um, a case that the field are are catching up and the field do believe they can beat her. Um, it's a very different situation to be in. I think she's kind of navigating life on tour now, being in the top two, not being the number one. Um, and that's a very different sort of situation, a different mindset, even for the player. For some people, it's very freeing, but obviously for Eager, she kind of thrived at the number one, um, having that fantastic first stretch, almost record-breaking stretch at number one. So... Um, I think this has been kind of a a year which has kind of redressed the balance a little bit on the tour. Um, And I think she she will be looking for a a big result and some big wins because um, I do think the locker room are looking at her, looking at that second serve, even that first serve and thinking, hang on a minute, if I'm able to put some pressure on there and a few unforced errors come my way, um, I might have a chance here. And I think this time last year, um, I don't think everyone was thinking that on the tour.
2: Mm, yeah, I, I I agree. And I mean, let's have a look at the other WTA event that we had last week. And similar story here. Um, we've um, had Ons Jibour, uh, winning the title straight set, 6-2-6-1 over Diana Schneider, who is a young up-and-coming um, Russian player. Uh, this was Ons' second title of the year, but her first on hard courts, which... Actually, is quite surprising. Uh, she's now, you know, collected titles on all surfaces, but her first hardcore titles. Um, but yeah, very straightforward for Ongebor, and hopefully a, a much needed confidence boost, especially after kind of the, the, the disappointment of um, of the uh, Wimbledon final. Um, Joel, you're, you're nodding your head. What, what did you make of On's uh, in Ningbo last week?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's always a tricky one I think when you come to these, you know, big players in 250 draws and I know there's always this talk of like to players enter them and vulture them, but I don't think this was necessarily the case and I think, you know, throughout the week she had to she had to work hard, you know, to win this title. You know, she had a couple of three sets victories over some really tough opponents, you know, Zvonareva in the in the quarters, Podoroska in the semis as well and You know, when she came to that final, you know, I think that regardless of who your opponent is, yes, I know probably a little bit of an unknown entity to a lot of people, but you wonder how much scar tissue was was or is there from you know the Wimbledon final and you know how was that gonna affect her when she once she gets into this situation again so I was very pleased for her in terms of as I say that sort of confidence boost it would give her and that positive experience of winning from a a final I think it's just gonna do her a world of good and um Who knows, maybe help her, I think, on this sort of slow road, maybe, to to recovery and redemption at a grand slam further down the line. I think this is, to me, is like a a building block for that. And uh, I'm very pleased for her to win the, yeah, to get it over the line in that final.
2: Yeah, and she said afterwards, you know, that it, it has helped her gain a bit of confidence, even though it's a 250, not a Grand Slam. It's it's like a small step to to kind of getting that job done in in a final in a Grand Slam. So, you know, she had a lot to say, um, you know, a lot of kind words to say about Schneider as well. Chris, um, is Schneider someone on your radar? Is she one to watch? You know, young up and coming teenager. She beat fellow fellow youngster Linda Fröverta in the semi-finals quite comfortably, but you know, obviously not able to really compete in the scoreline line in the final, but is she one that we should keep our
1: eye on going forwards? She really is. She's almost um the next in line on the Ostapenko sort of spectrum of things. She is not oh, a pusher. Are we are we gonna see her in Riga Nails then? Oh, well she may be in Riga bandanas because she is <laughs> famous for her polka dot bandana, but she she has quite a big um kind of following on Twitter in terms of the fact that she is known for really not liking pushers. She goes after the game, she hits big. um, And she's quite an interesting story, really, because she's the first player since 1993, who is currently um, at university. She's a, a freshman at North Carolina State, who is competing on the tour, who's in the top 100. So that's something that's quite interesting about her is that she's balancing her education with her tennis. And when she's playing tennis, she really goes for it. So um, you have to say that's an entertaining prospect. And she did get into a bit of a run in with Maria Zachary in the Australian Open where Zachary did not like the way that she was kind of come on sort of in her face. So she's a character. And I think um, she's someone who will see a lot more on the tour and we'll have a lot more to say about her
2: yeah she's in the top seventy now a uh, new career high so that's fantastic considering yeah she's just starting out at um like college as well so juggling the two we'll have to see how she gets on and just before we go to um a break, we have the Astana open just to recap very quickly from last week uh where one of our, our favorites on the podcast Adrian Manorino, uh won the title another uh, title another title I know racking it's- them up I know. He's the uh, three- king. <laughs> he's the French king. Three sets over Seb Corder in the final. Um, he's become the first French player since 2020 to win more than one titles uh, in a season. And I do believe he is...
1: God, what does that say about French tennis?
2: Is now the French number one still? Yeah, Surely. He's, now, yeah. he's now
1: very much... I mean, that would have affected the Davis Cup because now he is just one place away from his career high ranking at the age of 35 so really proving age is just a number that's for sure
2: that's amazing yeah because he won Newport earlier in the year and now has got um, Astana uh, as well Uh, so yeah came back from a set down against Seb Corder so uh, yeah he said he wasn't feeling great at the start of the match but and you know it was quite tight but he just sort of relaxed as he went along played with less stress and and there you go so great result for him and and French tennis I, I guess I mean he's He's still. I, I, their, I still
0: don't understand him. I, just, I swear I watch all the highlights whenever he plays, and it's it's one of those like it's not the most. I'm going to say it now. Not the most elegant style on on the tennis court, but it, it gets the job done. And uh, he's he's having a fantastic kind of late bloom period, mm. I think, in his in his career. I mean, it's it's crazy to think, you know, uh, you know, given his age, that he's still, you know, he is producing you know, his best tennis on the on the singles court and. Yeah, who knows? Could be pushing. Could be pushing top twenty very soon. Well, yeah. he makes it
1: awkward. That's what I think. That's what a few of the captains in um, the Davis Cup said uh, in press. They they said he's not an easy person to play against, and you know, someone like Seb Corder or some of these younger players, um, he's not going to give you a, an easy match. He's a bit a bit of a Cam Norrie in some ways in that respect of being a bit awkward. Yeah. Does it make it even more surprising
0: then that he just wasn't picked in that in that Davis Cup in Manchester in that final tie? Oh,
1: I mean, it, it does. I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, yes, he should have played. Absolutely. But there were some injury concerns there. But I mean, mm. clearly he's he's shaken them off um, and he's picked up the title in Kazakhstan. So, again, I mean, who knows how you select someone for a team? But as I am the number one Davis Cup strategist that's never been a captain (laughs) or done anything on a tennis court that's impressive, I would have picked him, Joel. Arguably,
0: arguably, would you prefer him just to keep his ranking just under Umber and have him as the number two starting off the tie because he's actually almost better in that position rather Mm.
1: than number one? I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I mean, I'm giving food you can't for thought you for can't the, the Davis it. Cup strategist. Yeah, we'll have to think about it. It all depends on your rankings when it comes to the finals and when who you're playing. So uh tough to know, but um I mean I wouldn't want to play against him uh in either either places.
2: Yeah, well, let's take a very quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing the Australian Open becoming a 15 day event from next year. The US Open cancelling wheelchair events uh, next year and also we'll be revealing who our dream captains for a women's version of the Labour Cup would be. So do not go anywhere welcome back to the tennis weekly podcast sponsored by downloadtennis.com now we're going to move on to joel's game uh well we think it's called joel's we game we are calling it joel's game now we can't think of any better titles <laughs> hang uh, for hang on i our gave you
0: what i thought was a better title and you both you both hated it
1: i i think it wasn't great <laughs> to the point that I didn't think Joel's game was great and now I'm fully bought in for Joel's game.
2: <laughs> I like the simplicity of Joel's game. Oh, so fine.
1: And um, but it doesn't tell you what it is, which I also is quite nice, isn't it?
0: You know? It's part well, of the game itself. If if listeners are wondering what my other suggestion was, it was career higher uh, or lower. Did you see what I did there? I put um, career high
1: and higher or lower together. Yeah. It's better when you say it, I guess, yeah. Written, I just thought it's a lot of text, you know. Oh, okay lots wow. to get through. Joel's
0: game. I'm ha- I'm equally happy with Joel's game,
1: but I'm not doing it today. No, which I think I would quite like to be Chris's game this week, but apparently <laughs> not. It's not it doesn't change but I've got to think of a new game in you order to do You can pick of that. your own game. Yeah. It, yeah, it will just be WTA players uh, at their career low, <laughs> ranking, Ooh, yeah, Oh no,
2: that's harsh.
1: <laughs> that would be truly awful and savage. So Um, For those of you who don't know from us describing it as Joel's game, what this involves, it involves us predicting higher or lower when it comes to the career high ranking of players. So we start um, with a player and I will tell you um, their career high. And then Joel and Kim are playing together, higher or lower. um, All the same. All the same. Sorry to make higher or lower, all the same. And then I will reveal whether they've made it through to the next round with a maximum of six correct answers to win Joel's game. Um, I don't really want Joel to win Joel's game because that feels like it's a bit much, doesn't it, Kim? <laughs> but I'd like you to do well. I, I want to say, I'm going to say this now and probably it not
0: reflect well um, in like five minutes time, but I'm I'm better. I think I'm the best at this game than the other two games that we play Mysterious yeah. Play
1: Empire for the Course. I, I I will I will agree with that and that's why I've made this really hard. Oh um, okay. yeah, so Kim, are you ready?
2: Yes, let's let's do this.
1: We're gonna start with um I would say a, a semi active player on the tour. Um one of the all time greats uh and we're having a British theme for this. We're starting with the little known Emma Raducanu and her career high ranking of number 10. Okay. So, so that's our starting point. Yep. Your next player is Kyle Edmund. Oh, That's a tough one.
0: <laughs> he hasn't Kyle been Edmund, in the top 10, has he? He got to a semi-final of a Grand Slam.
2: I think his highest ranking was about 14 or 17. I'd say lower. I mean, higher. Wait, lower. Yeah, lower.
0: You think lower than 10? Yeah. I, I don't well, no, think, I think he reached- I mean, it's yeah i i agree i don't think he reached top 10 despite getting to a semi-final of a grand slam i I think he reached like yeah if i had to put a number on it i would have to put like yeah 13 14 but Mm. i'm yeah i i think we're gonna say lower lower yep agreed oh god here we go okay
1: lower Lower is correct. It's Yay. number fourteen. So almost Yay. spot on, Joel. <laughs> Very well done in that. Um we're going slightly easier now, um, with another favourite of the pod, um, now tournament director of Nottingham, uh, Laura Robson.
2: She's got to be lower.
0: She never got up to more than I don't think she was on the tour enough 40? consistently to go yeah. higher than fourteen.
2: I mean, I think she was probably in her in the 40s as a highest. She or had 50s. better tennis.
0: She had tennis that could have put her in yeah. above that number, but I don't think she... No. I don't think she reached that. No, I, I think don't she think reached, so. I want to say lower. I would say I think she was a low-seeded player at her best, like a 23, 24, maybe. She I don't think she ever got as high as that. that.
2: Well, she reached the fourth round at the US Open, but she didn't really have any other notable... You know things that would have got her loads of ranking points. I think so.
1: we saying, saying lower, but it doesn't matter exactly.
2: really. But yeah, it's lower, and then you'll tell us her ranking anyway, won't you? So,
1: well, lower is correct, and it was twenty-seven. Oh, okay, yes. fair play, well done. Yes. Yeah, a low seed indeed. Well, now we're moving into the tricky part. We're going for another British player and someone she's played a lot of doubles with, Heather Watson.
2: Heather Watson's Ooh. been lower than. I don't think she's been as high as 27. 27. She's never been seeded at a slam, has she?
0: I think she has, you know. But has I she? think she's been like a 30. I want to say she's been like a 30, 31. Yeah. Mm. Has she been top twenty-five in the world? No. I don't. It just no. sounds like a push, doesn't it? I
2: think we're getting lower and lower.
0: <laughs> it could be same, but I don't. I don't think Chris would bring out that wild card too early.
2: I think thirty-five-ish is probably her max.
0: I think thirty-one, but okay. let's, we're let's say lower. We're definitely doing more,
1: more stipulation around what what the ranking <laughs> is this week. Even if you both <laughs> are in agreement. <laughs> Lower is correct, and the answer is 38. Oh, okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but no no one was really wrong there at all. Um, Now we're going to swap back to the men. We're going to go for Jack Draper.
0: Oh. um, Well, he's definitely been 40. He's been top 50, definitely.
2: I think he's been in the 30s, but it's quite close to Heather's ranking, Mm. I think. But he's not been seeded, has he? Hmm. I'm 39? quite enjoying the fact
1: you're not you're not both sure. I
2: think it might be the same as Heather Watson.
0: I think he's been higher. <sighs> Just a tad. Just a touch. Like
2: 37, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think what? he might have been. Like a few spaces higher.
1: Yeah. Should we say higher? Should we say higher? Ooh, yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> right, we're gonna go we're gonna go with higher. Mm.
1: You're saying higher? Yeah. I can tell you it's an incorrect answer? No, oh no.
2: no! Is it? Is it no. lower?
1: It's the same. Oh, oh no! Kim,
2: no. Kim even sorry. mentioned it.
1: It's thirty-eight, and oh. I can tell you too that I was so confident that you wouldn't get that one right that I the only person I put afterwards was just Sue Barker and no ranking next to it because that's game over for me. You know, that would be the perfect <laughs> way. to Sorry, finish. Kim.
2: No, that's okay. I'm sorry. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't sold on the you can idea take the of same. Ground. So, <laughs> oh dear. He went, well done, Chris. You, you won. You defeated us that time round. And listeners, let us know how you got on. Did you know that Jack Draper's highest ranking matches Heather Watson's, or were you also <laughs> stuck?
0: a niche knowledge. Like very would be different Very, careers, be very different
1: careers, right?
2: <laughs> um, oh, that's the thing. Numbers don't always tell the whole story. You might look at someone's Wikipedia and think, oh, they were ranked. You know, X once upon a time, but yeah, very different career. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's have a look now at what's in the Tennis Weekly mailbag. So we had an email from Jackie. Thank you very much, Jackie. Uh, She said, hello, Tennis Weekly. With the dust settling on the Labour Cup for another year, I would love to hear who you think should be the captains if there was a women's event between Team World and Team Europe. Uh, very thought-provoking question there, Jackie. Uh Chris, I'm gonna come to you first. Who would you have as your um as your your Borg and McEnroe?
1: That's a that's a really good one. I've gone a, a bit different in my thinking, um, for this one. Obviously I've not gone for the most obvious choices. Um, but I, I saw recently um that Linar was out and about. Um, in Beijing. And I thought the Chinese interest could be quite an interesting selection there. Um, And I thought that made a lot of sense. And then I was thinking, you know what? Maybe I'll do it kind of for for old times sake and I'll go for a Kim Kleister's because they had that final in Australia. And I just feel like everyone Mm. loves Kim. And even if kind of team world do defeat team Europe, um, she was known as Aussie Kim when she was dating Leighton Hewitt. So you have to say, She's a winner either way. That way, so that was my loose suggestion. Chris,
0: I'm surprised you didn't go with Kim Kaiser's
1: doubles partner, Aisugiyama. That would have been a very good <laughs> one. She's also was Daniel doubles partner for a oh, time as well. Good. So you could need, have, you need could to have get Danjukova references yeah. there. Yeah, maybe she should have been picked. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely didn't go for the most obvious choices. That's uh, or the most. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. Credible. That's what I'm here to do. Uh, Joel,
2: have you just gone very basic with obvious choices? Mm, yes.
0: So I. I would go very obvious Serena Williams Maria Sharapova as my two captains. But then Serena would would always win
2: because Sharapova only once. (laughs)
0: I think it could be like the next phase of their rivalry. Maybe like yeah, Sharapova can look to kind of balance it out.
1: The Russian element of leading Team Europe. I'm still a bit confused why they're in Europe in that sense. Um, Yeah, Eurovision Song Contest rules, I imagine, apply sort of. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Especially well they're not allowed this... in that at the moment obviously yeah, but but I guess she's quite American anyway so maybe um she's good for the, good for the getting numbers and viewing figures.
2: I feel that recently retired players that have you know still some kind of global fame would work well. So maybe Ash Misaki Barty, Dui?
1: no. And Masaki.
2: So- <laughs> she's very recently retired. I was thinking Ash Barty or if Osaka decided to not come back, Osaka, Um because, you know, they sort of get their token bit of tennis uh, happening, but not, not for oh, commitment. I love
1: Barty. To, she's quite federer coming back and doing a slice. Mm. And she, but she would just pick up a racket and she could probably beat some of the, the girls playing. She
2: could be a player manager, couldn't she? Well, um, I,
1: guys, I would say, all I would say
0: is also, Billie Jean King, what, what, if if some some sort of event like this happened, could would she be allowed to get involved or no? Given there's the Billie Jean King Cup, and would that be a where do these people sit? Of interest? Do they or... sit?
1: They sit just behind, don't they? Sit on the sidelines. I think she's got to be in a royal box. Um, I think she's at a status above um, providing on court coaching, but I think legally. If you if, if there's money to be made, I think you could probably cut a deal.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean she would they just wouldn't be able to name it after her, would they?
1: Um yeah, but, that could be a that that very be another confusing. confusing element, yeah. Yeah. Add it to I the schedule. Thinking,
2: yeah, maybe Marion Bartley for Team Europe, she could be a good option.
1: Oh, I um, do like her.
2: Yeah. Battle of the Wimbledon champions, Barty Bartley.
0: If you did have a women's event, you obviously, I don't think you, you couldn't name it the Labour Cup. You couldn't have a man's name. No, of course. As the name of it. So would it be like the Navratrilova Cup or? Definitely not the Margaret
2: Court not Cup. Not the
1: Margaret Court Cup. <laughs> that would no. not go
2: down well. Um, Chris Everett Cup. I mean, yeah, something like that would be great if they wanted to put their name to it and, you know, we'd need financial backing and. Who knows if that's going to happen? But we like to, you know, test the waters and see, have a bit of fun. So thank you very much, Jackie, because um, I'm quite excited about the thought of one, uh, if it ever materialises.
0: Needs to happen. Mm,
2: it does let's have a look at what's been in the news for the last week or so Um, big news coming out of the Australian Open yesterday they have said that for the first time ever in 2024 their tournament will start on a Sunday making it a 15 day event for the first time Uh, the aim of this is really to alleviate pressure on uh, the players with all the late night finishes they have Um, so by starting a day earlier it gives that one extra day to help the schedule so the first round will be played over three days instead of two um i'm not particularly sure how that's going to help the whole tournament you know whole two week tournament just by adding an extra day on Um, but what do you guys think do you think this is a good move do you think it's going to have the desired effect
0: yeah i think i think it is a good move in the sense that we'll have uh, an extra day of tennis on the weekend when you know people aren't working and, you know, there are some there are some fantastic matches. And I think, you know, with round one sometimes crammed into due days, it almost feels like some of those great matches do get lost. So I think having that third day really helps. And being on the weekend, you can get a really good crowd in and atmosphere in. Do I think it's going to help alleviate late finishes? I'm not too sure about that because in my head, I think that, you know, the night session still could start on time. But the second night match could go really, really late. So I still don't necessarily see how two and two go together in that regards. But I do think having an extra day of play at a Grand Slam on a weekend is never a bad thing.
1: Well, I guess it's never a bad thing for ticket sales if you're Craig Tilly. Um, And and it's not purely, you know, this is player first, if we're being honest. It's also... Mm going to provide um a really big sort of spectacle for the tournament and it's a chance well,
0: i think it's win-win though no i think it's a win for the fans but i yeah it's but a they, win for the organizers as well. well you know
1: they had that sort of that um absolutely curious match, yeah. match. Oh, so yeah. i think they were experimenting with it in that sense um to see how viable it was from a ticket sales perspective um to try and see how much interest they could get out of the weekend so um, call me a pessimist, but I'm not sure exactly how this will affect, as you say, the difference in uh, end times. Um, I think you know Wimbledon used to do a slam in 13 days um, with uh, the the Saturday or uh, sorry the Sunday Middle not being Sunday. A, a day without of a roof as well. You know exactly. So um, I don't really want every tournament to get longer. I know we have had some Sunday starts um, historically. Um, but, you know, I think with matches finishing on Wednesdays for tournaments and we've had two weeks and 10 days tournaments, I'd quite like a bit of, you know, consistency, um, and kind of sticking with the tradition because for me personally, it does just feel like, um, this probably would just be about getting kind of lots of entertainment, lots of food money and lots of ticket sales, um, And I'm not sure that that's necessarily uh, the best thing for all players because the scheduling tends to only affect and benefit the highest seeds.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of Wimbledon this year where we had rounds at different, you know, players at different rounds and it was very confusing. And I remember a comment on instagram or twitter and someone just put no rounds just vibes <laughs> 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 which just still makes me chuckle to this day uh, if that person's listening uh yeah you provided much entertainment but yeah i'm i am I agree with both of you i think um it's a bit of a tokenistic move but you know one extra day great we have that at roland garros so i don't know if it'll make a massive difference but we welcome it uh for certain reasons
0: Do you think we'll get to a point because of the money factor that all four slams will become like 15 day events and start on the, on the Sunday, as opposed to the Monday?
2: That might mess up the Wimbledon queue a bit for camping. I think, (laughs) think well,
1: they've, they've gone to the the multiple day, they've added the Sunday as well. So they've gone up a day. Um, We've obviously seen the French does that, but um, I guess it will be a trend because there is so much demand for tickets. I mean, uh, we, we, we're going to talk about the fact that in the Wimbledon ballot, the public ballot's now open. I think um, one of my friends texted me and said the number 8 million who've applied for tickets. So that's insane. Uh,
2: there's,
1: there's definitely got to be a desire for, um, so there's definitely the desire for tickets. You know, the need is there, the demand is there. Um, and you can see that from people going to watch practice matches um, and the people going to watch qualifying, that that's really kind of exploding in terms of the Wimbledon qualifying setup improving so much. And um yeah, I think I think that it's great. Tennis is popular, but I do just think, um, for the sake of the tournaments, I'm not sure it's player first. It's definitely um, finances first, but that's that's maybe negative. Maybe I'll eat my words in January
2: and talking of Grand Slam scheduling and, and tournaments the US Open have announced that they won't have a wheelchair event in 2024 so they are cancelling this uh, event at Flushing Meadows and that is because it clashes with the Paralympics in Paris um, they've done this before in 2008 2012 and 2016 previous Olympic years they have cancelled the US Open wheelchair event um, I guess they are assuming that all of the players that play the wheelchair events are going to be at the Paralympics Um However, you know, why not give the the players the option to have the US Open wheelchair event at, at a different time? You know, that's a lot of possible income that those players are not going to get because of there not being a US Open. And, and, you know, the Grand Slams for them is their big source of income. So they're going to have to go essentially from Wimbledon all the way to the Australian Open without pretty much any income. Because, um, I mean, the Paralympics don't. I don't give them the same well, I don't think they get they get they don't get financial winnings from the Paralympics. You know, what do you make of this decision, Joel, quickly? I mean, do you think I mean I know they've done this before, but does that mean it's right?
0: No, I think I, I think, you know, if if, if this happened in able bodied tennis, everyone would be up in arms about it and it just wouldn't happen. And there's a great big disparity there and I don't agree that, you know, these players should be missing out on both. And the fact that it's happened so long over such a long period of time it's not just been a one off as you said it's been at the kind of the last you know three events from from 2008 i feel like there must be you know in that time they can come to a working solution i feel like it's almost like they've it's second nature now and they'll just kind of cancel it but i don't necessarily think that's the right um you know i don't necessarily think that's the right approach and these tournaments do need to be player first and that does mean you know prize money especially for wheelchair competitors where those chances aren't as frequent as it is you know for able-bodied athletes on the ATP and WTA tour. they need these grand slams to happen and so I think they should be prioritized a lot more regardless of if it's an Olympic year or not.
2: Yeah Chris anything to add I mean I pretty much agree with with Joel there personally.
1: Yeah I mean I I do agree with that I think um, again it's the key point is this wouldn't happen if it was you know the men's singles event we've seen them drop the mixed doubles before um in covid we've seen them drop this sort of thing at times before and you just have to think that um it's a real blocker to the momentum of wheelchair tennis you know going from us talking about the fact that they were bringing on the women's wheelchair champion during the men's final to just completely canceling the event you know i think um it's not it's not a great look and i think there are there are ways around it definitely and we talked about you know playing more tennis you could play at qualifying week how can they how can they do that
0: it's a very good point you raise how can they do that around celebrating it and as, as you said bringing players out onto the court during the final and then not have an event of it next year it's mm. it's like Even two years it's, it's very so two-faced
2: it is. isn't it oh dear me well we'll see if maybe you know i don't know if there's going to be a, a big outcry. whether they'll change the decision based on that but it's i i find that hard to believe they will but yeah it's it's not great and um yet again it's yeah disparity like you said joel let's have a look um at what is happening this week we've got two 1000 events in asia so we've got beijing for the ladies uh, the 1000 events already underway and we've also got the shanghai masters um that we haven't had these events for a few years obviously because we've been out of china uh the last time the beijing event took place Osaka won it in in 2019 and, and sorry we did have the the men's last year which Medvedev won um, but yeah w- let's have a look at what's been going on already uh, for the ladies uh, I was watching a bit of Rabakana against Ondreva earlier Rabakina winning in three Tasty. sets yeah and then Sabalenka came through against Balta yesterday it was very very close two tie break mm. sets so good Good result for Katie Bolt, although she you know lost it was it was close against the uh you know the, the world number one.
0: Before we get into the tennis actually I just want to raise our favorite favorite buzzword at the moment performance buys oh. because the four performance buys were given to the Tokyo Open semi-finalists. Again I thought that was quite interesting because Anja Jabeur raised the fact that she would have quite liked a performance buy and it was almost like we, we're only given performance buys for the 500 event we don't really care about the the 250 event and um it almost felt like a little bit sort of discriminatory i guess against uh against uh, a 250 event and it, it again to me raises that question of how do you pick when there's there's more people i think than maybe there are uh slots available in terms of the the performance by itself
1: well with a 250 performance buy from next year i believe that top 30 players won't be able to play them so giving a performance buy for someone into a tournament who has a very low ranking doesn't necessarily make sense so it tends to be for high performing players who are important to the tournament Um, And their participation would probably be in question if it wasn't for it. So I can kind of understand. I think it's probably the worst scenario is that, you know, a Wimbledon finalist is looking for a performance buy after winning a 250 um, because that does kind of almost immediately expose just another chink uh, in the armour when it comes to performance buys. Um, Because, yeah, I do think if you've been if you've been playing for a while, you'd like it, but it's not the, quite the same going from Guadalajara to Asia as it is uh, Ningbo to Beijing. <laughs> I think that that's a trip that's a bit more doable.
2: Couldn't you also argue, um, and not to be mean to Shibor, but, you know, why didn't she enter the 500 event? You know, it's the higher caliber True. event. And, you know, she's she's able to enter those events and play them. So she chose to, you know, go for the 250. Yeah, easier draw. She got the title. We still, yeah, we but... still
1: don't think they make sense at the moment, right? But we're just saying yeah. that like that we can see both sides with Onshabur, I think.
2: Mm, yeah. But who do you think's looking good so far in, in Beijing out of what we've seen
1: on court already? have got full predictions here, Joel. Goodness. <laughs> well,
0: I think Coco Goss looked uh, in fine touch uh, so far. I mean, she had a very tough battle against Martic. And I'm interested to see how she goes against Kudometeva. And uh, who knows? Maybe we do get Coco Goff, Iga Sviontek in the semifinals because Shviontek's had very easy route so far. She destroyed Lynette, you know, one and one. Um, and maybe she feels like she's got a little bit of a point to prove. The fact that, you know, she went out a little bit early, earlier than she would have liked um, in uh, Tokyo. Maybe it's just, you know, this could be a tournament where she's like, actually, don't, you know, don't, don't forget about me just yet. I may not be world number one, but I can still do the business.
2: She might face Kuda again if Kuda does get the better of golf. Yeah. Um, we could have a repeat.
1: Ooh, I'm looking at um, Rabakina having not played. I think she's she's come back and she's she's been playing some great tennis. It's almost like she's never. I mean, she destroyed
0: Chin Wen Zheng, didn't she? in the first round one and two that was very
1: impressive I thought very impressive having not played and obviously had some injury concerns and then we've got Ostapenko coming into form as well and I'd quite like to see you know uh, a Sabalenka Rabakina match and maybe the winner of that playing Ostapenko that would be a really tasty top half for sure Um, but I do think I think Rabakina is going to play some really great tennis this week I think she's, she's she's come through against Andreva who's been playing very well um and I reckon she's probably my pick for this one, Joel. So I'm not going with Coco Goff. I'm not going okay. with the form player. I'm going with the <laughs> unknown quantity. And the the Coco
0: Goff is delivering her own Sfiontech-esque streak at the moment. And uh, it's continued from the hard courts of America all the way through to Asia in my book.
1: Until she wow. loses a match, Joel will predict it to win everything, right?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Joel, just
2: going on to the Shanghai Masters, you've, You've predicted Sasha Zverev to win. Um,
0: would yeah, you I don't know where explain? that came from. I think, <laughs> I think I put this script
1: together like earlier in the week. He's going out to Ben Shelton. What yeah, do you mean? I mean, I
0: just had a feeling. I just had a feeling. But I mean, that is a very tough quarter. I think you've got, I mean, it's a very tough, sorry. It's a very, very tough quarter. You've got Sinner, Shelton, Zverev, Korda. Medvedev all in that bottom quarter very very tough I think and and it's a bit sad that, that Andy Murray I couldn't say because he lost to Roman Safulin today he's not having the best time of it in uh, in Asia really you know had that ter- that rubbish defeat against Duminor De when he had match points and uh yeah against Safulin I mean Safulin is a player who I I think is a bit underrated and and people don't really give him the credit arguably he deserves as a Grand Slam quarter finalist but Andy Murray will be disappointed in the manner of that result no doubt I mean the amount of frustration he was showing on the court he's fully aware of it and uh, yeah it was it was pretty ugly at times I thought
2: Hmm. and Chris who do you reckon for for this title obviously there's no Djokovic Uh, Alcaraz is the the top seed
1: definitely not Zverev that's for sure (laughs) Um, <laughs> can I I'm... can I go back on that? You're not going to let no. me. <laughs> no, no, you've, put, you've been <laughs> silly enough to commit it to paper. Come on, Kim Zverev. and I have done nothing of I the sort. I believe in Zverev. Um, I I'm looking forward to an Alcaraz Evans clash again. Hopefully, um, I feel like we could have another good run from Kachanov. But I'm going to say the person who I'm backing for this one. I'm, I think Runa. Manorino. Is I it Manorino's time? Yeah, it could be, but I'm going to go for Holger.
2: <laughs> oh, Holger's Holger, back.
1: <laughs> back with his old coach. Um, and I think there were some really positive signs last week, even though he did obviously um, bow out a little bit early. Um, he has the sort of draw, which is perfect for playing your way back into form. So um, I think I think someone from that section could do well. And I think it's going to be a runa or a Rude that will um, emerge victorious. So you I don't, don't think Sin is Actually, no, no, to be honest. For... I think Alcaraz Medvedev final.
2: Ah, you don't you don't think <laughs> Sin is on
1: for, for two in a row then? I think it's it's tricky. It's really tricky. Like when mm. he won, um obviously I think in where well, was it in in Canada? Uh I mean he didn't necessarily back that up the next week. So I think getting a good week is a, is great, but um doing what Kokokoff's doing is very, very tricky.
2: I'm gonna go rogue and say who but Herkash.
1: Um Ooh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, don't Not ask big. me why.
1: Give us one more name. Who else have you got your eye on?
2: Oh, Corda.
1: Okay. Just because I know, he, I know he's yeah. just yeah. lost to Manarino,
2: but I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> Is he still I'm in the draw? I'm going rogue. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we've only just started. It's a 96-player draw, and uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. But we'll see. A lot see. of buys. A lot of buys. A lot of buys. But we'll be rounding up the results uh, when we get there, won't we, um, from from Shanghai and also Beijing
0: yes we are looking forward to that but yeah shanghai and beijing are underway but we're going to wrap it up there for our latest tour catch-up with the tennis weekly podcast listeners i hope you've enjoyed our latest episode remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the actions still to come from the atp and
1: wta tours we are on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts or spotify you can
2: also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and X. Tennis Weekly Pod is our handle. You can also purchase Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com shop slash Tennis Podcast and email the show on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And do check out our website as well, tennisweekly.co.uk.
0: And we will be back next time at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.